The Fuzzy Mike presents This Week in Sports. We start this episode with breaking news. We begin with breaking news here at NFL Network. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I'm Kayla Burton. This comes after 22 seasons, seven-time Super Bowl champion and longtime veteran quarterback Tom Brady is officially retiring. Now, you're probably thinking two things. Am I playing taps to mourn the end of the career of the NFL's greatest quarterback? And two... If that's the case, why would I play taps at all, since it's reserved to commemorate the memory of members of the branches of the military, the armed forces? Now, even though Tom Brady's arm was indeed forceful, I'm not playing taps because of the passing, (laughs) see what I did there, of his prolific career. His retirement has been reported, but not confirmed. No, I play taps for the death of something even larger and much more symbolic of America than TB12. The magnitude of this death is enormous, but you probably don't even know about it. Although I have read a couple of journalist columns that have covered it. I would ask you to sit for this reveal, an announcement of this gargantuan size, but I suspect that only a few of you will find this shocking and or even upsetting. Major League Baseball and its phony Hall of Fame is officially dead. America's pastime is past its time. I'll provide the stats and evidence in its eulogy in a moment, but before I do that, I want to explain something. In broadcasting, you're taught that even though your audience is many, you are to act like you are speaking to only one person. In the early part of my career, just to remind myself of that, I'd put a photo of Baseball Hall of Famer Wade Boggs on the audio console. Then, when I met the woman whom I knew I was going to marry, which was very early in my career, I traded out the Boggs picture for one of Trish. The switch didn't really bother me that much because, well, I was equally in love with both. I mean, I'd had a man crush on Boggs since I was in high school. But I will admit... When I benched Boggs for Trish, ah, I did miss his mustache. For this particular episode, ringing the death knell for baseball, I'm thinking of one person in particular, my friend and former Orioles pitcher, Jamie Sparing. He was a great baseball player. He's an incredible friend, and he's hilarious. His sense of humor, remarkable. He called me the other day just to let me know that Elon Musk's Tesla... You know, the one that's headed for Mars? It just caught up to the home run ball Alex Rodriguez once hit off of Jamie. But this, the death of the game he and his father, who played for the Cubs and Astros, loved so dearly, this is no laughing matter. A while back on this very podcast, I made the case for Hall of Fame induction for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, who were both in their 10th and final year of eligibility. Neither got in. Let me share some of the words of writer Drew McGarry, who on January 5th wrote this. Well, they did it. The Baseball Writers Association of America left all-time home run leader Barry Bonds out of the Hall of Fame. The Giants legend now joins Roger Clemens as two undisputed Hall of Famers who won't be formally enshrined in the Hall of Fame. 
This is a delegitimizing event for the Hall. An end. A death. The Baseball Writers Association of America has essentially voided out an entire generation of ballplayers. Not only have Bonds and Clemens been blackballed, but a similar fate visited Mark McGuire, and it will visit Sammy Sosa, Manny Ramirez, Kurt Schilling, and the aforementioned Alex Rodriguez. Barry Bonds' career, good and evil, is a necessary part of baseball history, one that should be documented and put on display. Instead, once Dan Shaughnessy and a bunch of other notepads decided they wouldn't vote for Bonds, they stuck to it. In the process, they've left Cooperstown barren, uninteresting, and illegitimate. There's a chance that Bonds and Clemens still make the haul because the Veterans Committee has its own voting block. But by the time that happens, all of the good and the bad will have been forgotten. It'll be as if Bonds never played at all, nor Clemens, nor A-Rod, nor any of them. They'll be wiped away by time and inattention. These men committed crimes against the history of baseball, but the men keeping them out of Cooperstown are proving themselves even worse offenders on that front. Dan Shaughnessy only voted for one player, Jeff Kent. Here's how he justified the Kent vote. Kent gets this vote because he was dominant at his position in the time he played, and there was no whiff of cheating or off-field scandal. That's only part of the article that Brewer wrote, but that's where I'll end it. You get the idea. My longtime radio partner and friend, Tim Tuttle, he and I had a Hall of Fame litmus test. I don't know if he got it from somewhere or made it up himself, but one of us would name a player. And if it took the other person more than three seconds to say yes, then that player wasn't a Hall of Famer in our eyes. Try that with your friends, with any sport. It's loads of fun and doesn't ever create an argument. Incidentally, a player's character is a criterion for voting consideration. Surely if Jeff Kent got Dan Shaughnessy's only vote, he must be squeaky clean. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Kent was kicked off his high school baseball team after clashing with his coach over a position change. When he played for the San Francisco Giants, the front office had lost confidence in Kent after an incident during spring training left him with a broken wrist. Kent had initially claimed that he had broken his wrist after slipping and falling while washing his truck. In reality... Jeff had crashed his motorcycle while performing wheelies and other stunts in direct violation of his contract. In addition, growing tension that had been developing between Kent and Bonds for years finally boiled over. A mid-season fight in the Giants' dugout was caught on television. Now, all those infractions, minor in the scope of malfeasance, but flawed character nonetheless. As I suspect many in the hall would be, if someone dug deep enough, I do realize that we're talking two separate entities here. Major League Baseball on the one hand, and the Baseball Writers Association of America on the other. But each has a hand in destroying the game and the hall. Baseball stats between today's players and yesteryear's players? Don't even compare them. They can't be compared. The league has always been tinkering with things, especially the pitcher's mound. The last time Major League Baseball made a major rule change for the pitcher's mound was 1969. In reaction to the complete dominance of pitching over hitting in 1968, let me say that again, pitching was more dominant than hitting. Major League Baseball attempted to recalibrate the balance 
to favor the hitters by lowering the mound 5 inches to a height of 10 inches above baseline. You basically need two halls of fame. One for players prior to 1969, and one for players after 1969. In recent years, Major League Baseball has moved outfield walls in and built smaller parks for shorter home run distances. Hell, just this past season, Major League Baseball altered the baseball slightly. An independent lab found the new balls will fly one to two feet shorter on balls hit over 375 feet. Some teams, well, they store their baseballs in humidors. Most teams don't. Major League Baseball confirmed two different balls were used during the 2021 season, but claimed it was due to COVID causing production delays. Regardless of the reason, two different balls were used. Last year, the Atlantic League, that's an eight-team independent partner league of Major League Baseball, they moved the pitcher's mound back 12 inches. You don't think that's a major advantage for hitters? and a significant disadvantage for pitchers? <laughs> I got news for you. It is. The league itself has always provided advantages and disadvantages for players. So when the steroid era arrived and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were chasing the babe, then-Commissioner Bud Selig promoted the race, and since it was creating more fan interest and revenues for Major League Baseball, he continued to turn a blind eye to the readily apparent use of steroids. Even in the eyes of the most powerful man in the league, the commissioner, what was happening behind closed doors was okay because fans were loving what they were seeing. Hey, I was riveted by McGuire and Sosa as a Cardinals fan and as a ball player for 24 years. Couldn't have cared less how they were doing it. And neither could Bud Selig. But in all my years watching Major League Baseball, if you ask me, Klein, quick, you've got three seconds. Tell me your most memorable moment watching baseball. Well, that's an easy one. It's a pure play that happened in a much purer time. Line drive, right field. We may have a play at the plate. Big hop. Here comes Downing. Here's a throw. It is. He knocked him off the plate. What a tag by Carter. A tremendous play by Carter. Oh, baby, what a play. And what a throw. Cobra. Dave Parker's throw to Gary Carter at home plate in the 1979 All-Star Game. Well, to this day, it's my favorite Major League Baseball moment. Parker in left field, decked out in his Pirates yellow uniform with brand new, just for that game, white cleats. Man, that was when All-Star Games mattered. Baseball was just different then. I mean, you could have collisions at the plate. Hell, Pete Rose, he trucked Ray Fossey. Ray Fossey was all that stood between Rose and a National League win. The collision left Fossey with a separated shoulder. That was in the 12th inning, not of a World Series game, of an All-Star game. All-Star games mean nothing now in any sport. Just stop with it. Yeah, but fine. What about the players who get bonuses for being selected to the All-Star Game or Pro Bowl? Simple. Keep the voting and the selection process so the players get their bonus money. But please, spare us the mockery of the game. Baseball's summer classic? Psst. Stop meaning something when they made the players wear the same uniforms, like a communist regime stripping away the identity of each team, city, player, and league. That was part of the glamour of the old All-Star Game. 
We watched Lou Brock in his Cardinals uniform steal a base, and we were beaming because our guy, the dude wearing our uniform, just did something the world saw, and he gave our city and league something to cheer about. Now they've created these manufactured stakes of World Series home field advantage to the winning league of the game. World Series home field advantage should go to the team that makes it to the World Series who had the highest regular season winning percentage. Period. And not to get off on a side note, but overtime football, be it regular season or playoffs, should not be decided by the flip of a coin. Having two teams battle back and forth the way Kansas City and Buffalo did last week, only to have it basically decided by a coin toss? Hell, that's even more sadistic than Anton Chigurh. What's the most you ever lost on a coin toss? Sir? The most you ever lost on a coin toss? I don't know. I couldn't say. Call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Well, we need to know what we're calling it for here. You need to call it. I can't call it for you. Well, it wouldn't be fair. I didn't put nothing up. Yes, you did. You've been putting it up your whole life. You just didn't know it. But back to the death of baseball. Not only do you not have some of the greatest players to ever play the game not in the Hall of Fame, you also have a mass exodus of viewers. Let's look at the numbers and year of the five most watched World Series. At number five, 1979, 37.9 million viewers. Number four, 1982, 38 million. Number three, 1981, 41.3 million. Number two, 1980, 42.3 million. In the highest rated World Series of all time. Number one, 1978, 44.2 million. Now, let's see what the least five watched World Series are and what year they occurred. Number five, 2019, 13.9 million. That's a far cry from 44.2 million. Number four, 2008, 13.19 million. Number three, 2012, 12.6 million. The second least viewed World Series of all time, 2021, just last year. 11.7 million and the least watched World Series of all time 2020 you can make an excuse for it because of COVID but still only 9.7 million viewers nobody cares about baseball anymore the games are too long too slow too boring but the game has always been long and slow so what did the league have years ago that it doesn't have now. Reggie Jackson, Ricky Henderson, Al Raboski, Raleigh Fingers. They could play and they had character. Today, Mike Trout, damn near universally recognized as the game's best player. Guess what? I've never seen him play. Not in person, not on TV. Now, how can it be that growing up, we only had three TV channels? Yet I not only knew the players on every team, I saw them play on Saturday's NBC doubleheader with Bob Costas and Tony Kubek calling one game 
and the immortal Vin Scully and Joe Garagiola calling the other. We had Mel Allen's This Week in Baseball and the Baseball Bunch with Tommy Lasorda as the dugout wizard. All of that was must-see TV for us. Now, we have baseball on all of the ESPN channels, TBS, WGN, Fox, and other stations, nearly 24 hours a day, every day. Guess what? We don't care. That's why this is a perfect time for Major League Baseball to have a lockout, all because billionaires and millionaires can't get along. Friends, Major League Baseball is dead, but I am looking forward to seeing the casket Rawlings makes for This has been the Week in Sports.